TBH. Tech Business History. Welcome to TBH. Now, throughout these first shows, we're looking at the dot-com boom in the UK. And if you lived through that time and took the slightest interest in what was going on, you would have heard of the business co-founded by my guest this week. He's Toby Rowland, and his company, Click Mango, famously raised a lot of money to launch an online health site. It wasn't the site that you would have read about in the papers, but the story of the raising and spending of the money, and how the actress Joanna Lumley was signed up to promote Click Mango. If there was dot-com fever in the UK, then Toby Rowland was at the centre of it. I was really aware of, of the kind of historical anomaly we were living through, you know, that, that this was going to be significant in the future. And um, and one of the things that I didn't do, and I just wish every every uh, year that goes by, I wish I had done it, was, was to start collecting like the, some of the business plans from that era. You know, because they they were just a fascinating insight into, you know, this kind of combination of mass hysteria and genuine and a genuine insight into what was going to happen into the future. Because those business plans were amazing, some of them. Well, let's just go back to the start, because one thing that I'm interested in, which sort of slightly relates to what you're saying, is was the whole dot com era the kind of epitome of entrepreneurship or was it a completely unique uh, period, like you're suggesting, really? Were there so many kind of things about it that were just actually totally different from normal that we shouldn't really, in, in a way, even think of it like entrepreneurship in the normal sense? Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that we, that the nature of entrepreneurship uh, changed, you know, the, the, through that time, right? So, because I think the way that we thought about an entre- entrepreneur before 1998 or 1999 was um, we we kind of thought about Richard Branson, yeah, didn't we? Uh, and um, and we didn't think about this kind of mass masspreneurship that 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 we now have. You know, it, it was a few individuals, you know, entrepreneurship, and people wanted to be to be like them, and that's everybody. Is that the reality or one of the things that Rory says in, in his book um, is that although that sort of the media like to portray it as sort of like anyone can start a business. In fact, when you look at it, the, the people who came through came from a relatively privileged background and they weren't representative of 20 year olds in general. Is that is that so? I, I think um, probably at the time. If you cast your mind back, people were very intent on security, you know, and so that, that was the way you know, people would leave Oxford and they'd be thinking about their pension, um, you know, like in their first year out of Oxford. And and that uh, has changed, has completely changed now <laughs> um, because people know that if they seek security, they perhaps won't have it. Um, and that the way to the, the way to achieve security is to is to be more forward looking, and that involves being being a risk taker. Right. So yes, risk taking um, has become a sort of part of conventional wisdom, I guess, in terms of working lives. Yeah, exactly. So so I think I mean where, where I think you're right is that some of the people then from that time, some of the entrepreneurs from that era did come from comfortable backgrounds, but it wasn't it was not because you needed money. 
it was um, it was because those people were less intent on on that security, which which was proven to be fleeting. But just to go just to go back to your story, then you left university and you became a consultant at KPMG, mm-hmm. and then you worked for Disney. Yes, both sort of um, employee positions. Yes, what was your sort of mentality about? going from a salary to starting a business? It seemed like a big step. I mean, I'd been at Disney for five years uh, and I was um, I was very happy in my work at Disney. Um, and uh, they Disney gave me a lot of love. It was a wonderful place to work. Um, but but through my work, I came in contact with all sorts of fascinating companies who, who had started at that time to come to Disney and want to license the content. And so myself and, and a couple of uh, a few others inside Disney were, were more and more regularly deployed to speak to these people um, because we spoke the same language um, and um, and to sort of see what we could get from them in terms of, you know, options and equity and et cetera, et cetera, for doing kind of minor content partnerships. Uh, and so I, I kind of got um, a little bit of a taste for this this wilder world outside of outside of the big corporations. Sort of deal making. Yeah. So how did you get from there to saying, all right, let's give it a go? Well, I mean, myself and my partner, Robert Norton, for, from um, uh, of, the, of Click Mango days, um, we, were ver- well, we were both very anxious about, about leaving our jobs. And I think we actually kind of quit on the same day um, because, you know, we, it was kind of time and we, we had an idea that we thought could, could fly. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful time to quit your job because everyone was looking for you know to find like young guys uh with a with a credible plan um and who who looked like they could get something made you know so this was sort of so, 98 or something was it or 97 this is 1998 yeah yeah 98 um yeah. and so just let's just go through so i i believe it was his your partner your business partner's stepfather had a health farm is that right? Correct. And, and yep. was that in a way the inspiration for you going into online health as a business? I, I think that there's um, there's always been uh, a kind of a slightly cynical process of um, of saying, okay, if there's something happening in America, is it ha- has it yet been done in the UK? And uh, if it hasn't, or in Europe, and if it hasn't, then um, there's an uh, there's an opportunity to do it, yeah. And so, um, and it's always been a little bit like that. Uh, so, so at that time, there was a, um, a website in the US called MotherNature.com, um, which was raising a lot of money, and which obviously subsequently went to the wall. Um, but that that company uh, had had was attractive to investors and looked like it was going to do well because well it had a real story of why it was going to sell product to B two C. And uh, and we were emulating that. And I think, to be honest, I think that we backfilled um, the kind of inspirations of why why we should be doing that. Um, you know, we, we we noticed that that was there, and we, and it hadn't been done in Europe. And we said, you know, okay, let's do it. You were in a way sort of casting around for something to do. Was that one of several possibilities that you were considering? Oh yeah, um, we had. Uh, I think I probably had probably had three or four much better ideas before that one. I discarded. <laughs> but you needed to raise money, yeah. And you went along to the first Tuesday meeting, I believe. 
Yeah, that's right, yeah. And First Tuesday being this networking event in London that was trying to sort of emulate the the kind of networks that you found in Silicon Valley, I think. And um, it was a particularly good one. I mean, uh, Brent Hoberman um, and, and Julie Meyer were are both uh, incredibly accomplished kind of networkers and, and collectors of people. Um, and so um, and, and First Tuesday was an amazing to, place to be. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we met Atlas Venture there um, and pitched them. And then we followed up, uh, followed up later on. And, um, and we had a few we had a few offers. Uh, Atlas Venture were not the only one. But, yeah, they were um, they were the ones we selected. Was it was it true from Rory's book that you didn't have any business cards with you at the first Tuesday meeting and you had to tear off a bit of uh, tablecloth and write your contact numbers and stuff on it for people? I think I did. And I think what's what's makes is going to make it sound even worse than that was i think i then drew a small star on the uh on the one <laughs> on this bit of this kind of ersatz uh, business card and what was that representing well just to sort of distinguish it from the other the other business cards. <laughs> <laughs> right well it worked anyway yeah it worked <laughs> <laughs> and so how much money were you wanting how did you decide how much money you wanted I mean, in those days, you know, one could raise an A round, uh, you know, what, what today would be seen as an A round. Uh, it was kind of legitimate to do that on a business plan because a website, you know, today is free. And but then it cost a, a million pounds. Really? You know, to, yeah. So and that was people that was accepted. You know, people might people thought that might be even be a little bit cheap. You know, so um, because in a way, that's a curious thing, isn't it? Because when we look back on it now as the sort of dot com days when anyone could start a an online business you, you tend yeah. to forget that actually they couldn't because they couldn't even get a website for a you know an, unless they had money no they um they it was just everything nothing was there you know you didn't have the the libraries uh you just didn't have um uh the easy ways of whipping something together you didn't have shopify so um yes yeah, so if you want to make an e-commerce website you kind of started started at the um you know, at, at the command line. Right. So you raised three million pounds, I think. Yeah. And what what was the process of trying to persuade the VCs to part with that money like? I mean, you had to write a business plan and then you took it round to people. We had a business plan, um, so which which I actually read last year. And I was surprised how good it was. Right. In <laughs> what was, respect? It was, because I, you sort of, you know, you think, you look back and you think, oh, we were young then and what do we know and so forth. Uh, because you hope that you've made progress in the interim. But in fact, I don't necessarily think I have. <laughs> but was it- because the business plan was, was, was pretty good. You know, it was well written, made a huge amount of sense, well researched. Uh, yeah. And was it over optimistic? Well, I think that what happened then was that people did not use credit cards online unless they absolutely had to, you know, or, or unless they were young and male, you know, and so they didn't care. Um, and if you were an older vitamin buyer, you absolutely were not going to put in your credit card online. So I think that was one of the reasons why our business plan was was over-optimistic. I mean, Amazon was sort of around at that time wasn't it amazon was around um and people you know amazon was a magic site and so forth. i mean you know the, the the business that click mango was 
was not going was not going to work out then and, and wouldn't have worked out later either you know it was it, it, it was optimistic and and I think that the idea of um, of creating content in order to sell product I think that you know that was obviously a, a, a something that people believed at the time um, but which subsequently proved to be you know not true I mean what people really wanted was um, user reviews right Right, so it wasn't. Uh, it was much yeah. more than a, just a, a retail site. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like a news and information site where you could buy stuff, right? I think that's right. Yeah, it was. Um, in, it was. I think it was called uh, an info tailor. Was that the, that might have been the model uh, at the time? Yeah. Tech business history with this week's guest, Toby Rowland. So, just talk me through sort of how how you got on then with your three million and you hired people and how did it go well i think that we we had to hire uh a lot of people in a hurry um we had to get i think it was net decisions um uh manoj badali and uh and charlie mindenhall um had a company had an agency called net decisions who we then uh we then kind of uh, well, we awarded the contract to build the website to them, and then we hired we hired a lot of uh, a lot of people, and we made a beautiful, crazy dot com office. Uh, and, you know, and I think it, it was very it's very exciting at that time. You know, if if you think now that the East End was not a place where uh, hipsters and uh, you know digital entrepreneurs working you know we, we I think we were one of the very f- first companies to base ourselves there so yeah it was cheap but it was also it was kind of funky you know it was wild and um and it was and it was it, it felt very I think it, it felt quite edgy uh as supposed to be so um if I'm uh, out at night in um in Brick Lane or that whatever I say yes I you know you don't know this but I invented this place <laughs> Right. <laughs> we were kind of at the um, at the edge. You could buy a house on Wilkes Street, which is the most beautiful street. I don't know if you know it. Um, you could buy a beautiful Georgian house, with four stories high, for sort of six hundred grand. God, well, it's a shame you didn't bring a three million into a lot of that. Into that, it would have been much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just going back to the sort of the whole environment, I've been reading this great book. I don't know whether you know Burn Rate by Michael Wolf. Yes. Uh, it's a yes. One, wonderful Read account it. of his uh, experiences at, in New York. One of one of the things he talks about is that nobody really knew where this was going. And so mm. that from the sort of entrepreneur's point of view, as long as you were confident and sort of just maybe one step ahead of the people who were holding the money, you could get away with it. And, and confidence and optimism were really what you needed at that time mm. i i think so i mean i think um i think it's at some point the you know the the, the music clearly stopped um we I, I think we you know people wanted you to be spending money and doing more than the next person you, you they wanted no. you to spend the money fast right they, they certainly did yeah so so people said um they they wanted you to have one in your space and then to be extending, you know. So they wanted to see a lot of uh, coverage. They want to see a lot of press coverage. They want to see you on TV. 
um, they wanted to hear people talking about it, and uh, and they and then they were then there was going to be more money. But you, you did know, you so. did all that, didn't you? You were you were over, yeah. over everything. Yeah. I I think I mean that you know at a certain point obviously uh, the tide you know started to uh, to ebb, <laughs> and so yeah, and so and at that point I think it became I think it became very clear um, a few weeks after we've launched. I think it became very clear that you know there just wasn't the demand that we'd forecast, and and there wasn't the, the there wasn't the conversion that we'd because, forecast. Right. So, so I think you actually launched the site in April two thousand. Yes. Um, so it had taken you a good few months since the previous year to to actually be ready to sell anything, but you'd already had massive amount of publicity. We had so we we were um, I think people wanted like crazy dot com startups to um, to write about you know and I think that we to a certain extent made ourselves uh, to capture that publicity you know so the the things that we did you know that we that our kind of beautiful office you know we had an, an inflatable boardroom um, we had uh, you know there, there were lots there was always something new for people to come and film or write about and uh you know and, and and so so we kept that going it was a shame that you didn't actually have product for them to buy while they were reading about all this stuff in the papers well i think i, I yeah I, I guess you could say i could i guess you could if, if you were doing it today you'd say uh, why are you bothering to do publicity when there's nothing for people to come and do you know, so what? Why? What's the what's the point of that? You know, but at the time we were on a mission to get publicity um, from the get-go because our our very first funding had appeared in the FT. You know, when we were sort of two guys in an office that had a lot of mice in it. You know, like just daytime, like a lot of mice. And um, you know, and the F FT came and interviewed us and wrote quite a long piece. <laughs> Uh, about how this this company had just raised um, three million pounds, but there um, was a, there was a great market in the media, as you say, yeah. at that time for any stories about young people who thought they were going to be very rich very quickly. Yeah, they wanted that. Um, yeah, let's, as, so now you would say, oh, wait, wait until wait until we've launched, and then you know get get some publicity for the right kind of publicity that makes people want to come and buy. And then I think, you know, it was very much any, any publicity is good publicity uh, because we want to be known. We want to be famous, you know. And so we would spend money and we would do stuff. And uh, and ultimately, we had Joanna Lumley uh, on side who was was just the most incredible kind of brand ambassador to have. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Tell me about yeah. Joanna Lumley because, I mean, obviously, she's a, she's a great sort of personality. But, yes. I mean, she wasn't exactly kind of a cool character was she i mean she wasn't somebody who was representing youth at all or was that no. deliberate well i mean it, it was a vitamin site and vitamins are for you know for older people right so uh and so for older people at that time uh her patsy character was extremely attractive um and very funny and and joanna lumley in general was just was just brilliant you know and she the, the reality is, Joan Lumley is a highly intelligent person um, and extremely funny to talk to. And just generally, you know, I think probably could have done anything. I think she probably, if she hadn't wanted to be uh, an actress, 
then I think she probably could have been an extremely successful politician. Right. <laughs> you know, she, she could have done anything. She's amazing. I mean, obviously, you enjoyed your dealings with Joanna Lumley. But was, yes. that a, was that a really a strategy that you should have pursued, do you think? Well, I mean, I remember Robert uh, came into work one day looking a bit a bit depressed, my partner, and said, um, he said, yes, he said, I was at my grandmother's uh, birthday last night and I, I was talking to her about um, about Click Mango and she asked me if we had any of our own product. And I said, no, we don't. We don't have, we just sell other people's. You know, we just sell like major brands or whatever. And she's and she said to and and he said yeah she said to me she asked me well why is anyone going to come to your shop then and and she'd had a she'd had a handbag shop and she said well you know people would come for my for the handbags that I had otherwise they'd go to someone else that was kind of a, uh, a significant moment I think Robert's grandmother and her handbags uh, <laughs> but but it wasn't you couldn't have done everything you did plus. Mm. create a whole range of products as well no no that would have been very hard but now i mean the, i think probably this like a site that in some ways kind of reminds me of click mango and what it and what it and what it's trying to achieve or what it's achieving is like hum nutrition um which is chris college's uh, site and that offers you nutritional supplements which are in some way um uh, customized to you and uh, and it does very well you couldn't have done that either because of the sophistication of the technology required, presumably. We, we uh, no, we, we had our hands full. Was there anything <laughs> you could have done that would have created a sort of happy ending? Mm, no, I don't think so. Um, because I think that, I think we just had the wrong model, you know, and it's very hard to go from the wrong model to the right model. You see very few people doing it. Well, because the um, whole B to C thing changed to B to B during your, while you were there, didn't it? Well, it was interesting, actually. The focus changed because people, it was kind of like, well, we tried B to C, that didn't work. It must be B to B. You know, that must be the answer <laughs> because this other thing didn't work. But in fact, um, and, and I remember people being quite kind of, smug you know about the, the whole b2b kind of gang got quite smug um in 2000 when things were bursting and they suddenly they were the serious ones uh but the reality is that um they all went to the war too eventually um and and the things that the things that worked were you know were because i had to get pretty folk after click mango i mean that was a bit of a wake-up call for me about business models i got quite kind of focused on how do you actually make money and then i i figured and i went to this online dating site you know so um, that you date and and there it was amazing you know we couldn't stop making money because people were desperate to put their credit cards in and, and go on an online date and so was that uh, just because the internet was that much older and more familiar to people no because it, it targeted people who had a much stronger like they, they couldn't get that otherwise if you see what I mean so they could get vitamins in boots you know but online dating was something they'd never had and the, and you date um, Mel Morris, you know, who's the CEO, like he was, he was, uh, you know, like uh, very prescient in many ways. And, um, and so at Uday, we had, uh, we had a form of instant messaging, it took about a minute for each message to get through. But that, if you hadn't had that, was like magic. You know, you said, Oh, my God, all I'm doing is I'm paying £14.95 a month. And these messages are coming through from like, uh, like a nice girl in Sunderland, you know, like, <laughs> 
But um, I mean, you're, I'm surprised you're sort of saying that the problem was the, the business model, because you could equally well have said at the time that we needed the next round of funding that climate just completely changed and there was just no way of getting any money for anything. No, I, I think that um, I think that online uh, vitamin uh, e-tel. I don't I don't think that that was ever going to be a massive um, massive business. I'm, I'm sure it's it's a sort of business now, but I would imagine it's quite low margin. I don't want to be mean about other people's businesses or whatever, but um, but I, I, don't, I just just considering the basics, the basic fundamentals of it, I can't. I find it hard to imagine that selling you know vitamin A over the internet is working really well for anyone. But was it rather painful that you're venture capitalists who'd been so enthusiastic and giving you the money the first time round mm-hmm. were so unresponsive when you went back and asked for more when you needed it. What was that like? Do you know what? The, I think that you, um, I mean, Atlas Venture were actually, they were amazing actually because um, they, they knew, I think when it, when the wind changed that they, they immediately knew um, that something was different and uh, they tried their hardest to help, you know, to sort of help us to to do something at that time. And they they kind of saw it coming, um, and they said, "Listen, we've got to get on with it because stuff's gonna, you know, things things are gonna start blowing up." And I, so I think that we we all knew that you know some it, something had changed. You know, venture capitalists are very optimistic people, and Atlas Venture, I think, were. Um, you know, they have to be optimistic, and the most optimistic ones are often the most successful. You know, so that, um, so, and I think Atlas Venture, you know, were like that, but they're also they're also pragmatic, and they knew when it was time to just you know look for something else. That they knew when that time had come. You sound remarkably sort of unbitter about the whole thing. I mean, did you? I mean, obviously you learned a lot. Did you lose money on it personally or did you make money? Or not? What was the sort of bottom line as far as you were concerned with Click Mango? Oh, well, I mean, in those days, uh, you would, this is, why, this is why I say that it was a very open opportunity that anyone could really do this because Robert and I probably put up, um, I, think, I think our office cost us 60 quid a week. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, and then we didn't have any other costs. Um, you know, before we, and then we wrote a business plan, and um, and then you know we I think we were probably unsalaried for maybe a couple of months or something like that. So so we didn't really have to put in any, any money, and then we closed it down. We had to close it down when the money ran out. It was it was expensive, you know. Uh, Hundred thousand so, pounds a week or something was it? Uh, it? I think uh, I, I hate to say that. Um, I, no, I think it probably was be about that, but maybe a bit more even. Yeah, probably a bit more. But you were getting paid by that stage. Oh yeah, yeah. no, we were all getting paid. I mean, like I said, it, it was, you know, we, we raised three million pounds and we we uh, we we spent we'd spent it within probably a year and a half. TBH Tech Business History. One of the things you always hear about Silicon Valley. Mm is that there's no sort of shame in failing, um, uh, but that the British are not very good at failing. And, uh, you know, but it seems like you've come through this absolutely unscathed and you've gone on to great things with other businesses. Mm. I mean, how did you manage that? Well, I, th- I think at the time, I had... 
I think closing a business, it, it can just be terribly depressing, you know, or it can be quite cathartic. Um, and fortunately, I've only had to do it once. Uh, so um, that that was a nice thing. Um, but I think that just the process of saying, all right, uh, there's a printer there. You know, how much can I get for that? <laughs> like, um, and trying to say, uh, and, and trying to kind of come out as best as possible for the uh, for the investors and make sure that everyone's been paid and stuff. That process is quite it's quite focusing, you know. And I think it's it's quite a good preparation for just saying, okay, well, you know, take a take a, maybe maybe six weeks off and then like start to do something else, you know. So because it's it, it kind of really pulls, you know, you get a bit strung out when the business is looking shaky, but actually closing it and going through that process, laying everyone off. You know, paying off all all the um, uh, creditors. You know, it it it, it kind of gets you back into the quite an organised frame of mind. So when you took your six weeks off and then started again, yeah, and you went around and saying, you know, I'm Toby. You've probably heard of Click Mango. Was that a, a an asset or a disadvantage in terms of people's confidence in what you could do next? Oh, well, I think it was um, it was actually it was it was quite bad, actually, because um, Click Mango was one of a few really spectacular busts. And uh, and we we had to we realized that we couldn't actually just stop talking to the media because we'd been courting media attention so much on the way up that we thought that we were advised by our, um, our, our public relations uh, agency who were very good. Um, and they said, listen, you, you've got to, you've got to give them time on the way down uh, because otherwise you'll just look like, you know, real sort of jerks or whatever. So we were, we would be filmed, you know, emptying kind of like documents into the back of dumpsters and um, all this stuff. <laughs> so it was, it was all, anyway, so we were, we were like famous dot bombers. You weren't famous in the way that Boo was, though, for kind of no, totally, no, we you know, we weren't, being so I think we were famous. I think, I think we, I don't think we were famous as being uh, useless. I think it was more like this was a dot bomb, you know, and we, we personally didn't look too bad. But, you know, we we had quite a lot of notoriety um, at the time. So we so what, I mean, what I did was I, I as, as soon as things started to look bad um, at uh, Click Mango, I actually started looking um, for various uh, you know finance courses, masters in finances. So and I applied while while Click Mango was still going. I just thought I do slightly need a backup plan here because otherwise it could be quite bad. Because I didn't want to just be stuck without a job and nothing to do. I thought it'd be quite depressing. Anyway, so yeah, so I then went straight into LBS uh, doing a masters in finance, which is an amazing course. London Business School. Yeah, exactly. And I thought and that was also, you know, I, I had to do a lot of the finance for Click Mango and that was very much a crash course. Um, so uh, I kind of felt like I needed to know not more, a lot more than I did. Right. I mean, you've had uh, tremendous success with, with King.com mm -hmm, since yeah. then. But I, I, it, unfortunately, you didn't make the money that you could out of that, I believe. Well, I I didn't um, with King. I, I think probably King was better for for me than maybe some people imagine. Um, it's the company but, that did uh, Candy Crush. Yeah, yeah. So so obviously I wasn't. Uh, you know, I didn't. Um, I, I was the largest shareholder in King, other than Apex, 
uh, you know, for quite a long time. Um, but, you know, I, I did unfortunately sell my shares. So I'm not speaking to you from my private island. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the the word is that you could have been a billionaire if you'd hung on a bit longer. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think I think I think that's right. Yeah. But again, you seem resigned or, or sort of just unfazed by that. Um, well, at, at the time, you know, it was it was obviously painful <laughs> because. It was wonderful to have started, you know, one of Europe's biggest kind of unicorns, you know, but but and then to to not be there when that when that really monetized was, you know, was it was it was kind of painful, you know. And and I think it was also something that it's the kind of thing that people uh like people who have a negative outlook uh dwell on that if they're talking to you, if you see what I mean. So that's something that people like to know. And sort of almost hint at, not in the way that you're doing it, because you're doing it for journalistic reasons, but you, but other people might wish to dwell on that and somehow, somehow kind of prod you to see whether that's something that you're right. upset about. Yeah, but I'm, I'm reconciled to it, you know. I mean, you, your dad, Tiny Roland, was a tremendous entrepreneur. Is, I mean, this is, I'm getting a bit, slightly the amateur psychologist here, but you, you were brought up, obviously, in a family where big, deals were being discussed the whole time uh some some successful and some others not presumably i mean do you think that that sort of awareness of what was going on in your dad's working life gave you a kind of resilience that has been useful oh very much so Uh, so, i mean because I, i saw you know my dad when he was up and my dad when he was down and you know he those two you know he he was very resilient um so uh, and i think that um you you need to be pretty phlegmatic as a uh, as an entrepreneur if you if you let everything get to you um and, and if you let if you let either the ups or the ups or the downs get to you then uh, you you you're not going to play very well you know well, well finally just looking back on the the whole sort of dot com craziness uh, i mean what what's what's your sort of abiding memory and and sort of feeling about it I think it's just like a genuine sort of happiness to have been part of something that I see as, you know, of being of, of kind of historical importance, you know, to have just played a, to have played something and, and played it, you know, not, not terribly um, and and to have been part of something so fascinating, you know, so, and something so momentous. Exactly, because, you know, Whatever happened in 2000, 2001, the internet didn't miss a beat, really. It, it went from strength to strength and yeah. it, it created the world that we live in today, really. It did, you know. And, and I think that even the wildest predictions of that time uh, were all very quickly surpassed, you know. The things that people, the things that people could have predicted then, or, or that people did predict, turned out to be incredibly conservative. So, so it's, it's odd that, isn't it? Because in a way, the hype which we look back on as being a bit crazy, was mm. actually correct. Oh, yeah. No, everything was, everything was correct. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a source of, uh, it's kind of a source of satisfaction, you know, to, to and also just a, a kind of lesson for the future of saying, you know, things that, things that sound unlikely but are possible, you know, can, can be achieved. You know, it just, just takes a little, 
just takes 10 years, not five. Toby, thank you so much. It's been really, really interesting. Charles, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to TBH with Charles Miller. Thanks so much to Toby Rowland, a true entrepreneur. Please join me for another TBH podcast next week.